Hello, everyone, and welcome to the week 14 episode of the Off the Charts podcast. I'm Greg Thomas of Sports Info Solutions, filling in again for Scott Spratt this week, and we're joined, as always, by Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. I wanted to remind everyone that the Off the Charts football podcast is presented to you by FantasyInsiders.com, your source for daily fantasy sports content. Their slogan is Accuracy Matters, and it shows as they've won the daily fantasy accuracy competitions for the past three years. If you're serious about DFS or want to become serious, check out FantasyInsiders.com for free educational content and premium memberships. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing after another set of interesting games last week? Yeah, well, doing all right. Uh, expecting more interesting things this week. There's always interesting things. Certainly attending last week's Philadelphia-New England game was interesting and unexpected. I'm sure. And I'm sure there will be more <laughs> unexpected things to come this week. Uh, I also think that watching Minnesota get blown out by 9,000 points at home was a sort of interesting <laughs> result last week. I mean, I know they had injuries, but... This is a team that we were all, you know, people were talking about how good their defense was. And, you know, even where I had been, you know, hesitant about them for a long time during the season, they had improved in recent weeks. And then they went and just laid a colossal egg. So between that and the Patriots upset, it was, you know, there were some unexpected results this week. For sure. So let's go ahead and start off by piggybacking off a topic you and Scott covered last week that there aren't really any extremely great or poor teams so far this year, historically speaking. But there isn't an abnormal amount of bunching at the top of the DVOA ratings. Uh, well, with the fact that there's bunching at the top, there has to mean that there's a lot of below-average teams as well. I assume that's what you've been seeing in the numbers, as there's only 12 teams with positive total DVOA so far. Yeah, I've never seen a year like this where the teams are bunched up in such a strange way. If it feels to you like half of the NFL is bad teams that aren't really that bad, but they're just kind of bad, the numbers agree with you. Because right now, for the full season, there are only 12 teams above average. But there are also only two teams that are below negative uh, 20%, which is you know, sort of the mark of where the really bad teams are. And so as a result... You just have a bunch of teams that are kind of meh. You can see it in the records too when you consider how many teams this year are four and eight, five and seven, or six and six. There's only one team that's two and ten, which is Cleveland, and there are only two teams that are three and nine. Uh, but there's just a lot of five and seven and six and six that balance out, you know, Carolina at twelve and zero, and then the four teams that are ten and two. So it's a really strange year. There's the, the eight teams that are on top of the league in our ratings are even more on top of the league <laughs> if you look at the weighted ratings that lower the strength of early games. And they're even more on top of the league if you consider current quarterback situations because the seventh and eighth teams in weighted DVOA are Pittsburgh. And we know Pittsburgh is better than they currently are rated because... The rating includes the games with Michael Vick and Landry Jones. Right. And Denver, and I think at this point, you know, we could talk about that a little bit more later in the podcast, but that's another team that definitely looks better now than they were earlier in the year because of better quarterback play. So it is just a really strange year where uh, there are a lot of blah teams playing a lot of close games. I can't quote the stat, 
But I have read somewhere that there are more games that have finished within seven points than ever before in NFL history this year. Hmm. Uh, you know, per per you know games per week. Right. So it's just a lot of close games between meh teams, and if that's what it feels like to you, it's not a surprise because that's what it is. Uh. Yeah, and just going on what you were saying, just when they showed the general, like, okay, who's in the playoff picture or hunt, they're having to fill the whole screen with teams because all these four and eight teams and all those kind of things are still in it. Uh, so just seeing that as a visual is, is pretty interesting as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are still in it. But, I mean, certainly in the AFC, right? a lot of the teams that are still in it is because you have these two divisions where everybody is mediocre. Right. Uh, certainly in the AFC, the records and how well teams have played and, and our, you know, playoff simulation suggests that the playoffs are actually, other than the AFC South, are pretty set. I mean, one wild card is almost definitely going to Kansas City. Mm. The other one is probably going to Pittsburgh or maybe the Jets and maybe Buffalo. Okay. It's kind of a three-team race, but I think, you know, with Roethlisberger healthy, Pittsburgh has the lead in that. So the AFC is pretty decided. The NFC, it looks like, you know, whoever doesn't win the NFC North is going to win one wild card. Right. And the other one is probably going to Seattle. So there's all these teams kind of hanging around, but it almost kind of feels like most of them don't have a chance unless they're in the AFC South <laughs> or the NFC East. And that's the thing about the teams in DVOA. There's 12 teams that are above average right now. That's it. If you look at weighted DVOA, there's 14 teams that are above average. Because mm. if you look at weighted DVOA, Minnesota and Tampa Bay go from below average to above average. None of those teams are in the AFC South or the NFC East. Right. And that makes sense based on what's been going on. Um, but two of the teams that definitely fit into that whole below average group we were talking about uh, that were discussed are Baltimore and Miami. And kind of when I looked at your DVOA update from this week and last week, I noticed a weird little quirk that last week's matchup of the two happened to feature the team with the lowest variance in DVOA weekly in Baltimore with the team with the highest variance in DVOA in Miami. And as someone who's watched Miami all of this year, I had no trouble whatsoever believing that they would have the highest variance in DVOA week to week. Uh, but I was intrigued to see that Baltimore had the lowest variance and one of the lower historical variances from what I was looking back at, um, at 2.5%. I know that being good isn't really a criteria of having a low variance, uh, but what really goes into having the low variance in the DVOA like ratings? Yes, boy, Baltimore has been consistently mediocre. <laughs> That's why they've lost so many close games. It's just like, uh, yeah, you know, they're there uh, every week playing. Uh, as for Miami, I mean, those two games after Dan Campbell became the head coach are phenomenal. Right. And then they also have games this year where they just got completely spanked. Yeah. So <laughs> it's 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 been a weird year for Miami and I guess a weird year for Baltimore. I mean, the consistency has continued with a different quarterback, right? With a right. far inferior starting quarterback for Baltimore, it's still meh because the decline on offense has been met by a slight increase in the defense. So they're still going out there and being really slightly below average every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely, it has been uh, interesting to watch for sure. Um, 
So sticking with teams with a negative total DVOA, as we've talked about so far in the podcast, and adding to your year-long discussion of the NFC East and the AFC South, as of right now, three teams with negative DVOA would be making the playoffs in whatever winner comes out of the NFC East and AFC South, where every team is negative 5% or below, and the Vikings at negative 2.5% DVOA. This got me thinking about how many below-average teams have made the playoffs, and more so, who were some of the worst teams to make the playoffs historically? I looked up last year's 7-8-1 Carolina team and the 2010-7-9 Seahawks team, who finished with negative 8.9% and negative 22.9% DVOA, respectively, as the teams I remember finishing below 500 and still making it. But what does the historical list look like for the worst total DVOA teams that still made the playoffs? Yeah, they've actually, it's a sort of a surprise, I think, that people might be a little surprised that basically on average, one team that's below average makes the playoffs every year. And it hasn't really changed since they moved to the eight-division setup in 2002. I know that a lot of people feel that the eight-division setup allows for more below-average teams to mm. make the playoffs, but really part of what causes below-average teams to make the playoffs is just the, the randomness of the NFL. The teams can be below-average over the course of a year, but put together enough you know, good games or get enough correct bounces at the ball or have an easy enough schedule that you know, they make the playoffs despite not being very good. What, what the eight-division setup has done is made it more likely for like an eight-and-eight eight team. So based on wins and losses, it makes it more likely for a below average or an average team to make the playoffs. But not based on DVOA, it's actually happened even back into the 90s. I mean, if you look at the worst teams to make the playoffs by DVOA, you get like, you know, not only recent teams like the 7-9 and nine Seahawks and the 2004 St. Louis Rams at 8-8 eight and eight, in a, a year where the AFC was so much better than the NFC that if I remember correctly, 10 of the top 11 teams in our ratings in 2004 were AFC teams. (laughs) (laughs) St. Louis was 31st in the league and made the playoffs. That's the worst (laughs) team by DVOA to ever make the playoffs. You also get teams like the 98 Cardinals, Jake Plummer Cardinals, who uh, made it in at nine and seven, despite Mm -hmm. being a 17% below average. In 1996, both the Vikings and the Colts were, uh, you know, below minus 10% and made it into the playoffs at 9-7. The Colts also did in 95. And what's interesting is that a lot of these teams that make it into the playoffs as the, you know, below average DVOA end up winning a playoff game and not necessarily even at home. The 2004 Rams won a playoff game on the road. The 98 Cardinals won a playoff game on the road. Um, of the the 12 worst DVOA teams to make the playoffs, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them, eight of them won at least one playoff game, <laughs> and one of them didn't win a playoff game because it played one of the other ones. Because last year, right, Carolina played Arizona, so it would be impossible for them to have both won. So uh, it's... You know, all is not all hope is not lost for the Philadelphia Eagles and New York Giants and the Colts and Texans. Uh, but what's interesting is right now uh, the the teams that are in the running in those two divisions, Houston and the Giants and the Eagles and Washington, despite being below average, 
none of them would be on this list of the 12 worst teams by DVOA to make the playoffs. They're all below zero, but good enough that they're not on this list. The only one that would be on this list right now is Indianapolis. And that's the thing is that in order to make the playoffs, it's probable that whichever teams make the playoffs out of these divisions will have to play better in the next couple of weeks. And so their ratings will rise right. and they might even end above zero. My guess is whichever team makes the playoffs from the NFC East is going to end up with a positive rating by the end of the year. The Colts might not because they're minus 12.8 at this point. Mm -hmm. But you got to figure if Andrew Luck comes back and they play better and they make the playoffs, that they will be better than, you know, minus 12.8. Right now for the year, they're 24th in our ratings, but they're going to get higher than that if they play better and win the division. Right. That makes sense. Um, and again, it would be pretty interesting to see, uh, depending on where they end up at the end of the year and if they make it, if we can have another team that makes your list of these worst DVOA, total DVOA teams, and then goes on to win a playoff game again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's possible. The odds are against it. That's why it's so good right now to be Kansas City and Seattle. Because, you know, all indications suggest that Kansas City and Seattle are very, you know, they're very strongly likely to be the number five seeds. Mm -hmm. And that means Kansas City gets to go to either Indy or Houston. Right. And Seattle gets to go to whoever wins the NFC East. Whereas, you know, Pittsburgh or whoever has to go to Foxborough or more likely they go to whoever loses the Denver Cincinnati game. Right. And whoever wins that last NFC North spot goes to whoever wins the NFC North. It's very likely that the Vikings and Packers play two straight games. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember that happening once, uh, I forget what year, uh, but with the Dolphins and Patriots where they basically played a Week 17 game, and then whoever won that got home field and actually attended in Foxborough, and that did not end well for me. <laughs> um, I seem to remember the Packers and Vikings actually doing it, the Packers and Vikings, in a recent year. I'm trying to remember which year that was, but I seem, it may have been the, the, the um, sorry, it may have been the, the, the Adrian Peterson MVP year. Okay. But where where they may have played two straight weeks, I'm I'm trying to remember if that was the case. But it, I seem to remember. Yes, in the Adrian Peterson MVP year, uh, Green Bay lost at Minnesota in Week 17, but still won the division. So that game did not decide who won the division, but it did put Minnesota in the, playoffs. the playoffs. Yeah, and then they played again the next week, and that was when Ponder got hurt. And uh, Webb, Webb had to play yeah. quarterback, surprisingly, in the playoffs. And Green Bay at Lambeau Field won that game easily. Right. That was a unique situation for sure. So before we go into our last topic, I just wanted to remind everyone that the Off the Charts Football Podcast is presented to you by FantasyInsiders.com, your source for daily fantasy sports content. Their slogan is Accuracy Matters, and it shows as they've won the daily fantasy accuracy competition for the past three years. If you're serious about DFS or want to become serious, check out fantasyinsiders.com for free educational content and premium memberships. So you've talked all year about how the Broncos have had one of the historically best defensive DVOA teams while coupling it with one of the league's worst offenses. Uh, while the defense fell off their historically best pace a few weeks ago, uh, in, the week, in this week's DVOA update, you said that Brock Osweiler's insertion into the lineup has brought their offensive DVOA up. 
Uh, is there anything you're seeing specifically in the numbers that has led to the change in Denver's fortune these last few weeks? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that the offense has been better. Now, Osweiler, you know, the offense was below average this week at minus 13%. But the two weeks previous, it was at positive 13%. And overall, I mean, that is just so much better than where Denver was with the corpse of Peyton Manning in the first few <laughs> weeks of the season, right? At one point, Denver was number one in defense and 32nd in offense. So now they're up to 26th in offense. And if you just look at the last three games... Denver would have about like the 11th best offense in the league. And that is enough to make them serious Super Bowl contenders when you combine it with their defense. And, and here's, here's an interesting thing with the defense. The defense had declined a little bit in the last couple weeks, mm. particularly the Indianapolis game really stands out in right. week nine. It's the only time all year that Denver has allowed positive rating on defense. Hmm. Um, but then this week, okay, Denver against uh, against um, sorry against San Diego, they had their best single game defensive rating of the entire year Ooh. at minus sixty five percent because San Diego's offense has still been you know reasonable over the course of the year. Their defense has been lousy, and that makes the team lousy. But <laughs> you know the offense has been reasonable, and Denver really shut them down, only allowed three points. So. That put Denver back into the discussion of all-time great defenses, where they're now 10th all-time okay. through Week 13 because they've bounced back. They were good against uh, they were good against the Patriots, and then they were great against San Diego. Ob obviously, the good against the Patriots is a little tweaked because you know our opponent adjustments are basing that on what the Patriots have done all year. Mm. But they played the Patriots without Edelman. And without Deion Lewis now and, and without Gronkowski at the end of the game. But nonetheless, there's definite improvement from the Denver defense back to its that really high quality that they were playing at early in the year. Right. And uh, before the season, a lot was made about how Peyton Manning was going to fit into the Gary Kubiak offense and vice versa, really. Um, and early on in the season, using the pistol formation seemed to be a compromise for both. But bringing Osweiler in has definitely allowed Kubiak to run a more familiar offense. When I looked at some of the charting data we've been collecting, a couple of things jumped out at me. Uh, one was that one of the staples of the Kubiak offense is now definitely in full effect in that Osweiler is rolling out on the second highest percentage of passing attempts in the league at 10.9% of attempts behind only Colin Kaepernick at 12.7%. However, while I was in that same data, I found something else uh, interesting. Uh, when Osweiler was first coming in for Manning, a lot was made on the broadcast and media about how he was six foot seven. You probably heard it a few times during the broadcast. Um, well, despite that size, he's actually seeing his passes batted at the line of scrimmage on a league-leading 2.52% of his attempts. And now rolling out is a way to counter that, obviously, but I found both of those stats pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that Osweiler, I don't understand the batted pass thing. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, but Osweiler fits the what, what Kubiak wants to do. They just seem so much more assured of what they're doing on offense. And the running game has improved with that. So, I mean, they've gone from 3.8 yards per carry to 4.6 yards per carry. They've gone from 34% success rate on runs to 42% success rate on runs. Like, this is the offense Kubiak wants to run. And, and it doesn't have to be great. It just has to be okay with that defense to be really dangerous. And that's why 
you know, if you read the playoff odds report uh, commentary that I do on ESPN Insider each week, mm -hmm. you know that we now have Denver as the favorite to be the number one seed in the AFC, although it kind of works out, I mean, almost to a one-third, one-third, one-third split for all three teams. Right. But because Denver has the head-to-head -head over New England tiebreaker, mm -hmm. and they're playing better and they're at home for the Cincinnati game. Right, for week 16. It means that if they beat, you know, right, so the odds are that they beat Cincinnati. I mean, the odds also say that they lose at Pittsburgh, but if they beat Cincinnati at home, they now have tiebreaker over both the Patriots and Cincinnati, and that gives them the number one seed as long as the Patriots win, uh, don't win out the rest of the way. You know, if, if Denver... Uh, loses one game, which probably would be at Pittsburgh right. in the last four games. And actually, I mean, in over half of the simulations, none of these teams win out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're, we, all, we all talk about, well, if win out, if win out, if win out. In over half the simulations, New England, Cincinnati, and Denver all lose at least one more game. Okay. So there's just, with New England playing three road games and Cincinnati playing at Denver and home against Pittsburgh and Denver playing Cincinnati at home and at Pittsburgh, it's just, it's too likely that they all lose at least one game. So it really, so much of it comes down to the Cincinnati versus Denver in that game in week 16, which is the final Monday night football game of the year, will probably decide the, the seeding based on how many games the Patriots have won or lost through that point. It will decide either that game is going to decide who's one and who's two, mm -hmm. or it's going to decide who's one and who's three. Um, unless those teams have lost before that, in which case it will decide who's two and who's three. Because <laughs> th this is an interesting table that didn't quite make it into the ESPN piece. But if Denver wins that game, in simulations where Denver wins that game, and that's the only thing we've changed in the simulation, mm -hmm. their odds of being the number one seed go up from 39% to 71%. In simulations where the Bengals win that game, and that's the only thing we've changed, Denver's odds of being the number one seed go down from 39% to 2%, oh. while Cincinnati goes from 34 to 67 And the Patriots stay at about 26% no matter what. It's 20, They're 23% to be number one seed if Denver wins that game, 30% if Cincinnati wins that game, and 26% overall. But for Cincinnati and Denver, that game is of amazing, intense importance. Right. And uh, it'll definitely be intriguing to see how the Broncos handle the offense when Peyton is maybe deemed healthy, uh, if that happens, and then how that might either affect, A, that matchup with the Bengals, or B, what's going to happen in the playoffs. There's no way they can put him back in. There's no way they can do it. I'm sorry, and I am, I was the world's greatest Brock Osweiler detractor <laughs> before he actually played, right? Cubase, the, the, the quarterback projection system, the old one, the Lewin forecast, hated Osweiler. Cubase, the new one, hates Osweiler, right? I thought this guy was going to be a total flop, but there is no question that he is better in this offensive scheme than Peyton Manning was. And while Peyton Manning may deem himself healthy, I doubt severely that at his age that he will be healthy enough to be the Peyton Manning of old to overcome the scheme problem. And his foot is probably still going to hurt 
There's no way they can put Manning back in if they really want to run this thing. It's not fair to Von Miller and Demarcus Ware and Akeem Talib and Chris Harris and Danny Trevathan. It is not fair to put Peyton Manning back in at quarterback. Those defensive players are working too hard, too hard to go back <laughs> to having the worst offense in the league. It's not fair. Right. It's just crazy to hear that. <laughs> you it's a never crazy expect. season. Yeah. It's just one part of why this has been a crazy, crazy season. All right. Uh, well, I think that wraps up everything we wanted to talk about today. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Make sure to check out footballoutsiders.com and fantasyinsiders.com for some great content. I'm looking forward to watching this week's games as we start the final quarter of the season. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and take care.